Welcome to The Exchange, a podcast from Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. In this podcast, we examine the world through a grace perspective and connect biblical truth in everyday life. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Exchange Podcast. I'm your host, Nolan Smith. I am the high school and college pastor here at Grace Church. And before we get into today's episode, I do want to remind everyone that if you have questions or you have suggestions for future topics uh, for, for episodes of The Exchange, you can email those to us at exchange at gracechurch.com. Again, that's exchange at gracechurch.com. Today, I am joined by Jeff Metter, our communications pastor. Jeff, thanks for jumping on. Thanks, Nolan. Happy to be here. All right. Well, you're the communications pastor, and today's topic is actually about communicating, communication. Uh, and so uh, so we're going to talk about communicating graciously. And specifically, we're going to talk, we're going to look at, you know, social media as, as that's kind of become one of our main means for communicating. And so we're just going to talk about what it means for Christians to you know, walk wisely through a world where we're, we're constantly engaging with other people, particularly online, and, and just some things that we can think about you know, as, as we do those, those things. So uh, I want to start by just asking the question for you, to, that, that how, how would you describe the general tone of our culture right now, specifically as we talk about you know, communication, how people communicate with each other? I think we would all recognize that our, our culture is very polarized right now. Yeah. Um, even going back to the past several presidential elections, um, none of them have been major landslide victories. We've mm-hmm. got about a 50-50 split between people on these large uh, issues that tend to define yeah. people and categorize people. Um, and odds are when you're communicating with people, uh, either about half of them believe differently than you do, or you're sort of in an echo chamber and they all believe exactly like yeah, that's you a good do. Point. And so I think generally the tone of our conversations on everything that's facing us right now uh, is very polarized. And that can, um, that can be hurtful, it can be exhausting, mm-hmm. um, and, and difficult to, to navigate graciously. Yeah. yeah, I like that word polarized. I think that's a good word to describe a lot of what we see. And, you know, when I think about that, I, one, one word that comes to my mind is maybe contentious. I almost want to say hostile, but I don't think it's fair to say it's all mm-hmm. hostile. I think there's a lot of hostility. Mm-hmm. But I think contentious is a good word because it's, it, 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 there, is, uh, there is a little bit of hostility for sure, uh, maybe even a lot depending on where you're looking. But it, it does feel like sort of everyone gets just a little on edge, you know, mm-hmm. when, when talking about, you know, these important topics, you mentioned the presidential election, so politics and, and different things. It, it seems like everybody gets a little bit edgy. There's, there's a tension in the air. And, and so I would say contentious and also noisy. Yeah. Noisy as in like, there's just so much to take in, so many voices to listen to on every level. I mean, platforms are huge and others are really small, but there's just tons of voices out there. Yeah. And broadly, it seems like we've, um, we've maybe lost some of the abilities that we once had to, uh, to 
speak our mind and to disagree Mm -hmm. and yet to go home together as friends Mm -hmm. or family even that disagree on issues um, and to do so in a way that is um, conducive to still having relationships. uh, And instead, we sometimes uh, group even people's ability to be in a relationship with us by their choice of position in an argument or discussion we might be having. Yeah, for sure. A lot of weight in those opinions. So... What what do you think is influencing that? What are the what are the factors that are are setting that tone, the the polarizing tone, the contentious tone? What feeds into that? Well, certainly, just the um, the genuinely deep and important nature of some of these conversations yeah, yeah. Um, has the ability to produce not only a. Um, a logical disagreement, but an emotional disagreement as well. Um, it has the ability many times to make uh, your your stance personal mm. if I disagree with it. Mm. Um, depending on how intertwined that stance has become in my own um, you know mindset with other things about me. Um, who I am, how I look, what I believe. There was a word you used yesterday when we were talking about this. What yeah, was... there's there's some social media conversation, ironically enough, about enmeshment. Yes, which is this idea of um, your stance on a particular conversation being now inseparable in some mm-hmm. ways mm-hmm. from whether it's your your political party or your religious views, mm-hmm. yeah. um, your place of origin, whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, People tie all this together now more than they used to. Um, And it's become very difficult to sort of live in the middle. It almost feels like you're, you know, striking out across the the frontier on your own sometimes to live in the middle. And I think in many ways um, we're going to see that maybe we're called to do that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think, I think there's, there's a lot of factors you could point to and you, you, I think you brought up some and that, that enmeshment is such a good, way of thinking about it that we've we've just intertwined these these topics in a in a sort of a weird way into our identity mm-hmm. which there's there's probably a lot under that you know under the surface there that we could get into and you know just thinking about the human condition and search for identity and things like that but but I think one thing that I, I also think about as a as a factor, and I mentioned that word noisy earlier, and I, I think there's a little bit of a when I when I, I kind of ask the question like, what's different about today versus fifty years ago, thirty years ago, you know, even twenty years ago? But what's what's so different about today? And there's obviously a lot, but but maybe one of the biggest differences is how how much opportunity there is for any individual person to put their opinion out there. Mm-hmm. You know, b- pre-social media, your your sort of broadcasting your opinion was very local. You know, you were you were just having conversations with the people immediately around you and unless you were, you know, a TV personality or an author, like you didn't have a huge platform you, you, your your opinions your thoughts weren't reaching a lot of people which was fine i mean there's not that's not a bad thing although in today's language that sounds like a bad thing you're not mm-hmm. reaching enough people you know but but today 
everybody has, we call, we call it that, that word platform. Everybody has a platform. And whether you've got 20 followers on your social media account or you've, you might have 2,000 or more, you know, but that's a lot bigger than whatever the circle was, you know, however many years ago, 30 years ago. And so you've got all these people with these platforms now. And, and then with that, everybody has this sense of entitlement, maybe the right word, but even like, I think there's, there's just an expectation on you. If you've got a social media account, you should be posting, right? Like you should be Mm -hmm. using it. And so it's, some of it's, you know, within our own hearts and minds, like, Oh, I want to, I want to make myself heard. And then some of it's almost external in the, in the sense that like, you feel pressure from the outside to have something to say about every little thing. Yeah. And all of that combines for this reality where everyone is talking at the same time. And, and I was just thinking about this this morning, like as I scroll through a social media app, so maybe for example, Instagram, as I scroll through Instagram, I might stop on, or I'll use Facebook because it'll work better for this. As I scroll through a Facebook, I might stop on a post where somebody has updated something really important. You know, they've they've posted something about a a life event or you know some some big thing that, that's really important, certainly important to them, but maybe important to a lot of people. But given the nature of that app, you know that Facebook app, even if it's really important, and I stop and I look at it for a few minutes. At some point, I'm going to keep scrolling, mm-hmm. and I'm because there's more to see, right? There's more voices to there's hear. There's always more to see. There's always yeah. more to see. There's more voices to hear. I mean, so many people face that sort of conundrum at at bedtime, right? They sit yeah. in their in their bed and they're scrolling. They're like, "Oh, just one one or two more posts," and then like, "Oh no!" I and if you refresh, there's something new. Exactly. At the top. Yeah. Exactly. And so we have that we have that plethora or that overabundance, the oversaturation of voices in just in our in front of us you know where we're where we can hear them where we can see them and so i think because of that because there are so many voices out there and they're competing for people's eyes and ears because of that i think there that a lot of times we just feel like we're not being heard mm-hmm. because we're shouting into a, an area where anytime you speak up anytime you give your opinion you're you're doing so with the expectation or the hope that people are listening so when you shout it into a crowd where people they might be listening but they're listening to a lot of other things too so if you're shouting something into a crowd that's important to you and then you're not getting a lot of response from that mm-hmm. that's going to that's going to be frustrating yeah. And you'll you'll shout louder, and you'll you know double down. There's, you know, there's so many aspects to this sort of historical change over the past couple of decades, especially um, in terms of the number of voices getting out there, as well as the number of voices that we hear when we kind of step into this arena. Right. Um, you know, getting your voice out there. Not too long ago. Um, you may be a writer or a speaker. You would have to go through an editor mm-hmm. and through a publisher, yeah, that's so true. Um, through somebody's pocketbook that could make this happen. And there was sort of this built-in filter of, you know, in a sense, guaranteeing that what you had to say was worthy of being put out there for other people to listen to. 
And depending on how you're wired, that sounds like either a great idea or, you know, the establishment keeping you down, Mm -hmm. one of the two. Um, And that's gone in so many ways. Right. And then I don't think we've talked about this idea here on the exchange, but we certainly talked about it on Wednesday nights and at other times of um, compassion fatigue. Mm. And it's this idea that, you know, a hundred years ago, And for thousands of years before that, maybe even in a way that you and I would say, this is how God wired us. Yeah. Um, we, we have a circle of relationships. They're tangible to us. We can see them. We can touch them. We can interact with them. And as things happen in their lives, as they have needs in their lives, as their barn burns down and you can go help them get their livestock yeah, out right. down the road, um, as as they fall on hard times or have a new medical diagnosis and you can care for them and love them and interact with that. You've got this geographical range within which you can do something about it. And that's what we've always had. And I think in a way we're innately designed to engage in that sphere as technology has marched on now more than ever and continuing to be so more than ever. Um, we are hearing the plight of people mm-hmm. far beyond our ability to actually do anything. Yes. Um, and even if you even if you are capable of sending, say, money to them, mm-hmm. you still don't have that sense that you've really engaged with them, mm-hmm. assisted them, helped them. Yeah. And so we carry the burden of people that we will never meet, we carry the burden of people that we will never see. And I think we internalize that and suffer really from yeah. that because we have an inability mm-hmm. to do what I think we all want to do mm-hmm. for our neighbors um, because we're just so overexposed and raw. That's true. Yeah, yeah when when I think it was, was, it was either you and Reggie or maybe it was Joe and Reggie, I forget. It was, it was an early episode. And we talked about mental health a little bit. So I think it was Joe and Reggie, and and I, I mentioned that just to, in my own experience. This is I'm, you know not not a professional when I say this, but but in my experience, what I what I've sort of observed about anxiety and talking with especially students dealing with anxiety, the way that I've sort of come to define anxiety is the 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 tension that you feel when you can't control something that you want to control. You know, and it's that feeling of like looking out and seeing something that that you think you should be able to change or you want to be able to change and you can't, you know, Mm -hmm. and 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 so with with that in mind, what you're talking about is an is it just a total anxiety inducing reality that there are all of these things out there that that we want to we want to be able to help. It's Mm -hmm. that compassion that 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 drives us to want to help people. And then that that sort of almost depressing feeling that's like, but I can't, like I can only do so much, which again, like you're saying hundreds of years ago or, or not even that long ago, that was normal. And, and we lived in that reality and we were good with it, but now we're just so exposed to those things. And I, you know, I think about what you're talking about, which is the inner pressure, sort of the, the, the inner conviction to want to help. I think that's, I think that's true, uh, or I think just like what we talked about earlier, it's true that there's an exterior 
pressure that we feel too. There's an there's a, a societal expectation. Yeah. I mean, you just go back to a couple of weeks ago when everybody's posting something for a for a cause. You know, there's a there's a cause out there, and then every almost everybody you know is posting something about it. Right. Yeah, you find out now about this thing that has happened remotely yes. from you. You feel the internal pressure to say, "Well, now that I know about it, I have to care." Wanna, yeah. And externally, you get, well, now that you know about it, what you, you have to do? care. Yeah, what are you going to do? Yeah. And, and, and I've noticed, and I've even felt this from, uh, like, I've had, I've had this interaction where, you know, you, whether you, you join in whatever that social media campaign is or not, just using that kind of as an example in this, whether you join in or not, you, you feel people looking at you or even outright telling you like, hey, you should have you should have done that. Or if you did it, is that all you're going to do? Are you going to do more mm-hmm. than just post on social media? And so I think there's an internal pressure that we feel. There's the, the pressure like you're talking about, that sense of compassion. But there's an external one too, a social expectation that you're going to you're going to have to help out or or mm-hmm. be, you know, left on the wrong side of history, for example. Mm-hmm. Um but but not only you talk about the compassion fatigue. I think there's also just the uh, where was I? Who was I listening? I forget where I was where I was uh, hearing this. But there was a guy talking about if there is something going on in in the world where there is a let's say there's a one in a billion chance that it's going to happen to you. Well, we live in a country where there are basically a third of a billion people, which means. You know, if all things being equal, you're going to hear about this thing happening Mm -hmm. once every three days. Mm -hmm. And so, so you're just taking these these statistics and just sample statistics, and you're saying your chances of X happening is one in a billion, but you hear about it on the news every three days. Now, let's just, I'm just going to take an example from like my childhood where I was, I was so scared of, uh, sharks, right? Like, uh, or quicksand even I, you know, like I was, I grew up under the impression that quicksand was going to be a way bigger threat than it turned out to be. You it's know? pretty scary. Yeah. yeah. But something like that, you know, where you think about a kid, you know, seeing that in a movie or whatever, like, a sh- like a shark attack, you know, oh man, jaw, the movie jaws in the seventies came out, you know, and scared everybody into thinking like if they ever swam in the ocean, they were going to get attacked by a shark. So, you, so you see this thing one time and and somebody says okay but the chances of that happening are one in a billion and you're like oh okay so that's fine i like one in a billion that's fine i can live with that and and go about my day and and be just fine oh but we're going to tell you every single time it happens to somebody in the world and so you're going about your day and then hey that thing it happened to somebody today a couple of days later, hey, that thing, it happened to somebody else today. And all of a sudden, mentally, it just adds up and becomes this overwhelming reality. And you're like, oh my gosh, it's happening all the time. It's happening twice a week or more, you know? Surely I'm going to be next, right? Like surely that that's going to get come for me eventually. And so I think that's another part of it too, is just the, it's the, there's a lot out there that I can't help like I can't do something for those people over there that are in need. And then there's a lot of threat that I can't mm-hmm. stop, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh man, that thing's definitely going to happen to me. There's one in a billion chance that it's going to happen, but it feels like it's definitely mm-hmm. going to happen. And I experienced that a lot. I, you know, if I, as I'm saying this, I'm like feeling a little bit of conviction, like, man, yeah, I, that, that's, that's me, you know? Yeah. 
So I think those are those are both facets, but two sides of the same coin, really. You know, it's a little bit like in, uh, I think, the Lord of the Rings, where you've got the hobbits that live in this little green shire, and they do their little peaceful thing, right. and they they garden and they, and all this, and yet outside of that, there's this big, massive war raging on, and occasionally they get sucked out into mm-hmm. that, and yet at the end they come home and they're. In spite of all that, their little place yeah. with their little relationships mm-hmm. really hasn't changed all that much. Yeah. And I think of even, you know, even over the last several years of these massive cultural push and pulls and, and battlegrounds, the people that I see every day, the place that I go home to, what I do, mm-hmm. kind of hasn't been affected that yeah. much um, in terms of. Who can I invest my actual tangible time with, mm-hmm. and what can we accomplish by that? Um, sort of this compassion fatigue again. There's, it's not in many ways necessarily affected by some of these larger issues that are going on. That's that's a good point too. And and as we move, I think we're going to circle back around to some of this mm-hmm. uh, in a, in a minute. But I but I kind of want to get into now what we maybe can do as believers and how we can think about this as believers. So, so given this, this climate, what are some of the temptations? Obviously the temptation towards what we're talking about, that temptation towards some anxiety, but what are the temptations that you think Christians face? Let's say when we, when we're actually talking about, I'm, I am cracking my knuckles and setting up for this, this post on social media, Mm -hmm. right? Like I'm about to type out something and in that moment, what what do you think are some of the temptations that we face? Well, I think we have a temptation to win, first of all. Um, Christ didn't call us to win. Mm-hmm. He called us to love. That's right. Uh, in fact, with the recognition that many times we may not seem like mm-hmm. we're winning. Um, you know, we've got a... We teach a model of relational evangelism here. And many styles of evangelism have their place in the world. You've got the Billy Graham crusade style of thing mm-hmm. where people may go because they're curious or they came with a friend and they're going to just receive a direct call to accept Christ or not. Mm-hmm. Um, then you've got uh, maybe the times where you pull up on somebody on the side of the road and they're, they're obviously near the end of their life after yeah. an accident, for example, do you just share the gospel with them? Well, of course you do. Um, We've long embraced the idea that with your neighbors, mm-hmm. people that you live next to for um, years mm-hmm. at a time, um, by virtue of your heart and your attitude, the way you care for your home, uh, all of these things combine to give you sort of a platform of credibility where you can have these conversations yeah. and then they're understood a little differently, they're received a little differently, and yet... I don't know of anybody who's ever had their mind changed by an mm-hmm. argument on social media <laughs> yeah. um, or said, wow, I think you're right. You've really convinced me to not be the polar opposite of you. Yeah. And so I think as believers, um, when for ourselves we know we're right um, or seemingly know we're right mm-hmm. yeah, on some of these even, more even cultural kind of issues. A, yeah, that's a hard line to walk to. Um, you know, we're convinced we're right about who Jesus is, who the Father is, our relationship with Him. 
we carry that into a feeling of being right mm. on other issues. Mm-hmm. And so we set out to win, I think, yeah. is a temptation and a strategy that just it doesn't taste good to the people that are hearing that and engaging with that. Yeah. Um, and frankly, is a very difficult position from which to be loving and gracious. That's that's so, so true. You know, you said that that when you were talking about the the temptation to win, I just couldn't help but think about this this idea of you know Jesus is you know all, all throughout Jesus's ministry, you got this sense of like an inverted economy, right? Like mm-hmm. an inverted world where. In our world, everything operates a certain way, but Jesus flips all that on its head and says, "In the in the kingdom, it'll it'll look different. It'll look sort of the opposite." And in some in some sense, you know, the first will be last, and the last will be first. That whole idea. And I I think about that, and as you were saying that temptation to win, I thought, you know, Jesus sort of won by losing. Mm-hmm. You know, like he he appeared to lose in order to win. You know, mm-hmm. in the end, and. And he he gave up a lot in order to ultimately gain the final victory, but but it it meant surrender for him. Where in in a, in a time when all of us would fight, he yeah. stood he stood before a court accused of something that he was innocent of, and he was silent. You know, and that's a oh my goodness! Can you imagine like mm-hmm. telling people like hey? When people accuse you of, of something you're not guilty of doing, just don't don't defend yourself. I had a seminary professor who talked about the the um, the good that can come out of the persecution of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way, he longed for the persecution mm. of the church, which is such a strange thing to say. Right, yeah, um, because when when the church gets on top. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you can look at, for example, the medieval Roman Catholic Church where they had this political yeah. power intertwined with that as well. We get fat and lazy and content and happy. Yeah. Um, the persecuted church, in contrast to that, is a a lean, faithful animal. It's mm-hmm. a different sort of creature. And what comes out of us when we're in sort of that position of power and majority is often not the kind of loving and caring draw that you saw in the early church, which Mm -hmm. was, I mean, they were, they were scrappy, you know, they were just starting. Um, And we have a tendency to lose the things that best characterize us um, when we're speaking from sort of this position of majority. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think that's an interesting thing to to consider, a, a almost longing for a persecution. But you're right. I mean, the the response in persecution is is sort of the 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 point. You know, it's sort of the tool mm-hmm. that we can that we that we use. But somebody somebody told me uh, recently, or maybe I I probably actually even saw it on social media, sort of ironically. But uh, it was this phrase: people don't want to hear your opinion, they want to hear their opinion coming out of your mouth. Mm. And, and that I think a builds into the tension a lot that from, from the get go, 
at the, at the outset of any conversation on social media, there is that sort of pre, you know, pretense in the whole thing that whoever you're talking with really all they want to hear is that you're going to say what they already believe. Mm-hmm. And so as Christians, I think we're, tem- we're tempted to feel that way too. Like we're tempted, we're tempted to approach something and it, and it really goes along with what you're saying. We, f- we, we feel that we have truth on our side as Christians and that we're supposed to be confident in that. So how does that play out in a conversation when we, we like you're saying, we carry that over into other things. Like we think we're right about whatever moral issue or political issue that we're, that we're talking about. So that's, I think that's part of it. I think, I think that we're tempted to, um, I think that, uh, like I said earlier, I think that we're tempted to make sure we're heard like, you know, and, and, and it probably is related to what you're saying of wanting to be right. If we think we're right, then we think what we have to say is important and should be heard. But just that temptation to be heard, which I think at its core is, is, an, is the human need and the way that God designed us, the need to be recognized, to be seen and known, and then ultimately accepted. Mm-hmm. And so I think, I think a lot of people, and this is where I really connect the dots in, in like youth ministry because I see so many young people at the high school and college level who just like any other human being who's ever lived before them want approval and want to be known, you know, they want to be known and, and have people look at them, know who they are, know what they believe and what they're about and then say, I love you or I accept you. Right. That's we've all, felt that Mm -hmm. we all have that need but more and more young people are going to social media for that and where you know this is not for i don't think either of us are trying to hearken back to the good old days and say you know back when we were growing up it was better and Mm -hmm. so on and so on but there is something to be said for what we're describing when we when we talk about pre-social media the way people related to each other we didn't people could still turn to the wrong things for that that acceptance that's again that's part of the human condition that's mm-hmm. the sin that's the brokenness is that we seek it in the wrong places but more and more it feels like social media is almost the only place yeah it's not that there's this you've got a whole lot of places where you can turn and a lot of them are going to be the wrong places it's like more and more th- maybe the worst place to yeah. turn for that, that acceptance is the only place that young people are looking. Yeah. So there's that too. You know, even, again, even in Scripture, looking at the early church, you had, you had both pieces of this puzzle. You had the, the apostles in sort of these big, loud marketplaces of ideas mm-hmm. um, shouting the gospel against the pagan religion of the area. Yeah. I mean, and that's kind of the social media shouting match. Yeah. And yet you also had them, you know, walking down a long dusty road side by side together, having conversations and uh, making disciples and baptizing as they went. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's a role for both. Um, I think they're, they're separate in many ways, though. Um, how much... You're talking about a role for both the... Both types wide, of things. Wide, 
Yeah, you know how much yeah. how much personal discipleship happened in in this big marketplace yeah. um, versus you know did they hear what you were saying and then maybe come ask you for more and then maybe have the long walk down the road and have these further conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a need I think that we feel to say in this big playing field. Hey, don't forget that I'm here. Here's my view, and I think that's all social media right. is. Um, but I think some of the real work needs to happen somewhere else. Yes, I agree. And, and you know, as we as we think about the the temptations, I also want to think about what, you know if we're tempted to those. Uh, pitfalls, I guess you would call them, you know, the falling into the temptation to be right, the temptation to win arguments, the temptation to even, I think to an extent, there's the temptation to, to prod a little bit, to, mm-hmm. to stoke the flames of a conflict that you might see. I sure. mean, a lot of people, I think, enjoy a little bit too much watching people online argue, you know, and, and I think we can be given to the, the temptation to kind of like, Oh yeah. Well, what about? And then just yeah. watch, you know, watch the the, the chaos. Watch the world burn. Yeah. yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> just want to watch the world burn. And, and so all of those, and, and the temptation to seek acceptance in that place as well. So all of those are the pitfalls and the temptations. But but on the on the sort of positive side of it, the 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 what can we do side of it. What do you think it looks like? I mean, you you hearken back to the the apostles and the early church and how what it looked like in their context. Uh, you know, I'll I'll use sort of a cliche question: the, the the what would Jesus do, or what would the apostles do? So, like, how how do you think that would translate the principles that you're talking about mm-hmm. there? How would that translate to modern day, especially social media? Uh, I think some of the some of the answer would seem very passive compared to what so much of social media is. No, no I want five positive yep. steps. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. You know, the idea of be ready to give an answer. Yes. Um, yeah. You have to be asked a question to give yeah, an that's answer. Passive, right. Um, you don't just stick your answer out there and, and wave it around for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, be ready to give an answer when asked in season and out of season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a, uh, a theologian that we wouldn't look to for almost anything else is Karl Barth, and yet one <laughs> yeah. one thing that he had to say was uh, the pastor, and this was decades ago, um, has a Bible in his right hand and a newspaper in his left hand, mm. um, speaking about an awareness of yeah. social issues, uh, preparedness to engage. We need to, to probably define what a things. newspaper is right. for some of our right. <laughs> it was like it was like if you hit print on your social media yes, page. That's right. Except everyone writing was like a journalist, not just right. A, right. a random person. And print, by the way, is... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so this idea that um, we do need to be prepared, mm. we need to be fluent as much as we can. Isn't it interesting that you're talking about being prepared for something? Even, even what you're saying is counterintuitive mm-hmm. to a certain mindset that, it, that exists across a lot of our culture, which mm-hmm. is, no, you've got to have, it's not just have the, the last word, but have the first word. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, if, if you've got something worth, 
I guess, worth saying almost, then you better say it. And what you're actually what you're speaking to, which is biblical, right? This mm-hmm. is this biblical idea of being ready to give account, being ready to defend your faith. That is counterintuitive, sitting and waiting yeah. for the conversation, not seeking it out, not starting it. And not to say that you can't start conversations, but but the principle you're talking about is counterintuitive to the whole social media landscape. I want I want the social media conversations that happen when I get a private message from somebody who says, man, I see lots of people mm. who are claiming to be mm. Christians out there spewing whatever it is that's yes. opposed to what this person views. Yes. And I don't see you doing that, but I know you're a believer. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. And that's... I've had that exact conversation that's, many times. That's gold. And I love it. I and agree. totally agree. My heart is to create that space and that environment where people can have that conversation. And boy, I better be ready to answer mm-hmm. um, when they ask that question, because that is, I mean, that's a softball. Mm-hmm. And I think those types of conversations also are facilitated in a way they've never been facilitated mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. with social media. Yeah. And so I think that that still quiet presence, mm-hmm. um, speaking into it where you can from a biblical perspective, some things are pretty cut and dry that within our worldview, within our Christian ethic, um, we need to speak into this. And other things are gray areas middle matters. And when we speak into them, we need to be careful Mm -hmm. that we're not speaking those as representative of the Christian faith, for Mm -hmm. example, yeah, um, representative of who Christ is, because if they're middle matters, um, there are ideas. And speaking so boldly about some of our own ideas um, can maybe have a bigger impact than we, than we meant. Right. And I, and I think you talked. You said that what was that phrase? You said still silence, mm-hmm. right? And that 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 makes me think of uh, you know the, the proverb. I think it's seventeen seventeen twenty eight, um, and it's it's better to be better to remain silent and be thought a fool. Mm-hmm. Basically, I mean that's the gist of it, right? Better you know uh, the the fool is thought wise if he remains silent, mm-hmm. you know, and. And there's something, again, that's a passive idea, mm-hmm. you know, staying silent. But when the world, and this again is that external pressure more than I'm thinking about the internal one, which is also there. But when the world is saying, you better speak up. And I think we've faced that too as a, as a church, you know, and how we approach things, I think from in our leadership and the choices that we make, I mean, from the elders and you as the communications pastor and how to communicate things, we've many times taken that approach of we're not going to speak until it's very clear that we need to. Mm-hmm. And and granted, one can err in that direction. Absolutely. You can absolutely fall into failing to speak when you need to mm-hmm. by trying to, to... So that I'm not... That's not to say that, that just keep your mouth shut forever, you know? But the Bible sort of addresses it in a way that's like, you know, if you're not sure, like just stay silent Yeah. because you're better off staying silent when you're not sure 
than you are of speaking up. We used the phrase recently, is it a discipleship issue? Mm. Um, is it just eh, a cultural thing, you know, uh, middle matter? Mm-hmm. Or no, is it really a discipleship issue? Yeah, right. Um, where, spe- as, where speaking yeah. up promotes discipleship is what yeah. you're saying. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, are there, are there other things? Are there other, I guess, you know, as I think about that, that word filter or, or paradigm, like when I approach my social media and some people I think take a little bit more of a holistic thought out approach to social media than others. Some, some people are just, you know, I, I have it and I'll just post when I feel like posting kind of a thing. But I think some people do really try and have a a consistent process for when and how and, and what they post. So maybe thinking in those terms, what, what are some other just considerations, things that, that are helpful in approaching our use of social media? Well, interestingly, I think so many of them are the same things that are helpful when we approach our real-world conversations, mm-hmm. and yet we tend to remove that filter yeah. is, is one That's of the biggest true. problems. Um, you know, we, we go in with our claws out. Uh, we go in ready to fight in a way that people would never do um, when you're having a face-to-face conversation with a neighbor that you're trying to win over for the Lord, for example. Which is basically the question, would I say this in person? Right. Yeah. Um, You know, our our way that we might um, tenderly and understandingly look at others and be patient with them, gradually drawing them along... Um, just goes out the window for so many so people true. for some reason. Um, you know, Tom Rogers, a guy that meant a lot to both of us, mm-hmm. um, said one day in answer to the question, "You know, why are they why are they behaving like non-believers? Yeah. Because they're non-believers, yeah. and there's so little guilt and judgment in that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as were you and I mm-hmm. at one point. That's right." Um, and yet, we often tend to answer non-believers on social yeah. media with Bible verses, yeah. which means nothing to them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not going to convince them of anything. Yeah. And yet, we throw it out there because it's the biggest grenade that we've got. Um, and instead of being loving and gracious toward them, it comes off as a weapon, a weaponized version of Scripture. Yeah. Um, which is not the heart behind that at all. And um, I just, I mean, more. it all boils down to that for me, is would you say that in person with mm-hmm. someone the Lord brought into your life um, to have influence and in conversations with? And if not, why are you saying it on social media? Yeah. To either either somebody you don't know, or maybe even worse than that, to somebody you do know, who is in your sphere of influence, mm-hmm. and you've trashed what you had offline in the real world yeah. um, for a few, uh, you know, internet points in yeah. the social media world. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I want to ask the question. I, I can't. I feel like I asked you this maybe the last time you were on here, but I, I can't remember. Do you see social media as a net positive, or or is it? 
is it maybe slightly or 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 way in the other direction? Yeah, I really copped out of that last time I was here. Okay, we, so yeah, <laughs> yes, that, that's why I'm. Um, I just again, I, I left it hanging there in the air yeah. because, um, again, like the conversation about well, how how does your voice get heard now compared to then? Is the fact that you don't have to go through this bureaucracy hmm. is that a good thing or a bad thing? Yes, <laughs> right. Um, I think. I do think maybe that it's more like fire. Man, you can you can do a lot of damage, yeah. and you can really get hurt with fire. Now, does it have benefits? Well, sure it does. You can accomplish some pretty great things and, and build right. a society around right. fire. But, man, totally. um, you know, you don't let your kids play with it. Mm. And that may hold true for social media. Yeah, too. what a what a um, prophetic it's, statement. Uh, it's it's dangerous to yes. me. How's that? No, that's. I think that's really a good way of putting it. And and I want you know, obviously, I'm I'm acknowledging that something like social media or fire, to use your analogy, are morally neutral things. Sure. You know, I understand that. I'm not not trying to ask if social media is of the devil or yeah. something along those Absolutely. lines. Absolutely. So much as I am just, I think, asking the question like, given given our current human condition and the state of our world, yeah. is adding social media to the picture ultimately helpful or ultimately harmful? And, you know, I, I'm with you in that it is, it's a lot like fire, it's dangerous, but it can, you, you can do so much with it, so much good with mm -hmm. it. And I think it's, it's such a funny statement that you wouldn't let your kids play with it, yeah. you know, like... How, that's, you know, here's some matches and some lighter fluid. Go outside. I'll see you in exactly, half an hour. Exactly, and is the same as you know. Here's a phone um, and a social media and a social account. media account. Yeah, uh, you know, go have fun. Exactly, and yeah. that is what a great, what a great like comparison that is because that's I think that to me is is the biggest negative of it all is not so, again, not so much that social media in and of itself is bad as it is that I can't tell you how many parents I've heard say something to the effect of, I gave my children social media too young, mm -hmm. or I wish I'd known more about it before I let them have it, mm -hmm. you know, something, something like that. And I, I really think that's where it, it's, it's the most dangerous. Now, adult, just like fire, I mean, adults can abuse it, misuse it, get hurt by it, mm -hmm. you know, for sure. But children, young people, and I, I'm, you know, all the way up to, you know, just people with who are intellectually and or emotionally immature. So that can, that can include people in their twenties and thirties even, but, you know, adolescents, especially who have social media, they're the ones who are, are trying to get that initial sense of, acceptance that mm -hmm. we talked about earlier they're they're really seeking acceptance everybody is but teenagers they sort of operate in a world i mean i think about junior high and how horrible junior high was for me i don't know how you felt yeah. about junior high I, I, I blocked it out yeah, yeah. yes exactly i mean i hated it and i was i was kind of joked that junior high is like a quarantine you mm. know you're you're quarantining those kids from the elementary school kids, but then you're not ready to pass them on up to the high school level yet. So you, it's just this little like in between state where you're like, they're too old for that group. They're too young for that group. Yep. Let's just, let's just keep them clustered together here, you know? Yep. 
And and I think about at that at that age, how hard are you trying to find people who will accept you? How hard are you trying to 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 fit in? And you're trying to discover your identity. Caleb and I always laugh about the kids that come into the to the youth building dressed a different way every week, mm-hmm. like in a totally different style, you know, mm-hmm. every week as they try on. And you read the the psych the psychology on it, and it's like, yeah, they're they're stepping into these different identities to see which one feels the best, yeah. right? And so that's exactly how it happened for people like you and me, pre-social media. Mm-hmm. When we were trying to discover who we were, we did it certainly at the risk of being seen and potentially ridiculed by our peers or now my students when they see the pictures of me, you yeah. know, in, yeah. in, in high school. But like there was some risk. You stepped out and you were vulnerable, you know, at school or whatever, I'm going to try on this, this shirt or, you know, this haircut or whatever. But now you put it on social media and you try it on social media where anybody from anywhere has a, has a chance to, to give you their opinion. Well, now you get a numerical metric of how much people like what you're doing or not. You're exactly right. And don't even get me started about the, the anxiety that that causes kids. But but yeah, you, you, so now you're trying those identities on. You're doing this thing that every kid does and has ever done, and but you're but you're doing it in the the sort of spotlight of social media where. So not only do you have this much bigger audience that's judging you now than you did when you. I mean, it was terrifying walking into the junior high, mm-hmm. you know, and going, "What are they going to think about my haircut today?" But now you're putting it on social media, and 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 then it's it's like it's almost it's almost compounded by the fact that you don't feel like you're walking into a building in front of a lot of people when you're in the privacy of your own room and you post that picture. So there's, it's this like illusion of, of like less Mm -hmm. risk. And yet you put it out there and way more people can see it. Mm -hmm. And then, and then you add in what we were talking about earlier, which is people say things they wouldn't say to your face. Yeah. You know, or I wouldn't, I wouldn't dress this way. In yes. the in the company of another human being, but I'll dress this way for oh yeah for forty thousand followers. Oh on yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, so true, so true. That's yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and so, you know, that's that's obviously one facet of the problem. But when for me, when I think about what social media is and what's good about it and what's bad about it, uh, my attention is so drawn to the the young people mm-hmm. and and. And like you're talking about, it's like getting, they're playing with fire and constantly getting burned. You know, we talk about abstract reasoning and mm. concrete yes. reasoning. Um, concrete developing first and then abstract coming later. And I think that plays a role in it as well. You know, when, when you make a comment on social media yeah. in a concrete sense, you know, in the real world, physically speaking, what actually happened? Well, nothing, really. I mean, a couple of electrons moved around on a computer server somewhere. I yeah. mean, nothing really happened. Yeah. Um, later, when you have the ability to reason with an abstract capacity and people look back at that, wow, I mean, you did some, you did some real damage. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a, I think, Gosh, a I think point. maybe we just don't get it yeah. sometimes. Even older people. Um, oh, yo, for sure. But yeah. like, well, what really happened? Well, well, nothing really happened. 
Um, but then, you know, we've seen the stories so many times. You know, some some young professional, somebody finds a tweet, you know, they made when they were 17, and you know, they're 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 fired, and their college degree is is taken away, and you know, whatever happens, yeah, um, it's wild because you know because I don't I don't know that they were capable of really comprehending what happened, and I think of my son, and I think that's true. Sure, um, yeah. and. You know, he'll he'll grow out of that, yeah. hopefully. But you're going to be real intentional yeah. in guiding him, sort of like yeah. the, you know, standing right there as he tries to start the fire. I mean, you're not... You know, and that, if we're just talking with parents for a minute, yeah, that takes intentionality, and it takes effort and commitment. And it's inconvenient at um, times. It is inconvenient. Um, my son, for a long time, wanted nothing more than to be you know, on YouTube, partly just because he likes playing around with video sure. stuff, um, but also partly because that's what the cool kids were doing. Well, let's let's be honest. I mean, when when young people are polled, yeah. I mean, the number one yeah. aspiration of young people today is is yeah. like basically YouTube fame. Yeah. So and so, yeah. you know, he actually went out and just did that on his own, and we were like, whoa, 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 whoa. We had to reel that back in. But he's a trailblazer. As the, give yeah. Him that. As the compromise, as the parenting commitment in reeling that back in, that was paired with, I'm going to help you do this. Um, Meaning, I'm going to set up an account. I'm going to help you look at the videos you're making, Mm -hmm. give you some feedback, help you try to see, "Uh, maybe you shouldn't say that, Mm -hmm. or that's really good. That's really great. Then I'm going to help you upload them into this thing that I'm still managing with you, yeah. and you can get it there. You can send it to your friends and your family. Um, and you know what? Some days I'm really tired of that. Sometimes I don't really feel like sitting down and following through on my half of that. Mm-hmm. When he comes up and he brings a flash drive or whatever that's got his next video on it, yeah. it's like, man, I just got off work. And but if he was willing to to pick up that challenge and say, yeah. okay, I'll do that with you. I'd better follow through on that too. Yeah. And it's, it's you meeting him where he's at, yeah. like stepping into his world. And yeah. if you want that time with your kids, mm-hmm. then, and I think that's an interesting, a really interesting part of it too, for parents as they try and navigate this. I, part, there's a part of me that always wants to tell parents who ask about social media or whatever, because because I, I do get parents ask a lot, hey, what do you think about it? And what's, you know, what advice do you have? We, we do the classes here in the summertime when, mm-hmm. we, when we address parents. And, you know, I do have um, an inclination, sort of a knee-jerk reaction where I just want to say, don't, don't have it. Just get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Don't let your kids have social media. Not worth it. Mm-hmm. And, and at times, that's the right answer, I think. Mm-hmm. But then I have to, I, I do have to acknowledge, and we all have to acknowledge that whether we like it or not, it is the world that they live in and it's the world that their peers live in. And so we've got to be prepared that if we take a step as drastic as you can't be on social media ever, we've got to be prepared for the, the sort of ramifications that they're going to go out into a world Mm-hmm. unable to navigate because at some point we're, we're, we're sending our kids out of the nest, you know, and, and letting them kind of fly. And if we do that without preparing them for social media, because we wanted to protect them from it, then we obviously run the risk that they're going to go 
to, they're going to go into it one day and be totally unprepared. And I kind of think about, this is sort of extreme, but you know, there were those, those reality shows about like the Amish kids that mm-hmm. would escape from, or Amish or, or like, um, fundamental Mormon or whatever, you know, just these communities where they are so isolated and sheltered from the, the quote unquote real world. Mm-hmm. And you get these kids who in, inevitably want to break free of that. I mean, some of them, I guess, stay in there, but, but you get these kids that, that you know, they're sort of peeking over the fence at the world around them going, I want to go out there. Yeah. And these stories are following these kids out into the real world. And they're just, I mean, they like, they're impoverished. They don't know, they can't get jobs. They can't function in a world that they have never lived in. Mm-hmm. And we have to acknowledge that with social media, whether we hate it or not, and I some days I hate it, yeah. it is the world where so many people live and we can we can only ignore that for so long before it be it, it comes back to sort of bite us and and so I love that you describe the way you and Luke do the YouTube thing because I think that's that's got to be the approach at least sometimes to to say let me walk with you into this mm-hmm. rather than let me shut you out of this and keep you away from it or give you free reign and just hope for the best. Let me, let me go in it with you. And that's, I think that's going to be different for every parent and how they do it. And it's, you know, it's a hard line to walk, I'm sure, but it's, I think it's good. Yeah. And I, I think the adults listening can, can imagine how I hope that conversation will go mm-hmm. in the future what kind of dividends that will pay. Yeah. And I think that leads us back to just how to conduct yourself in these conversations in general. Right. You know, I hope that my son and I have many years of productive conversations about social media and things that he's running into as a result of spending that time with him and stepping into that world with him. Mm-hmm. Um, just like I would hope I'd have that opportunity to have those conversations with other relationships of mine mm-hmm. based on the, f- the history that we have. Yeah. Um, and you know, if you've got, if you've got unbelieving friends and to oversimplify it, you know, maybe they're on a scale between mm. total unbelief and saving faith in Christ. And they're somewhere at, you know, at 50 hovering in the middle there. And, and you share that next meme on your Facebook page, <laughs> yeah. you know that combines, you know maybe a, a, a Bible verse, and your political views <laughs> and your commentary on something else happening in the world yeah. today, um, and it's just out there. Um, I think it's a valid question to say, what does that do to them on that scale? Mm-hmm. Do you think it ticked them a notch? towards the Lord, or do you think it ticked him a notch the other way? Exactly. Um, and I think our call is to draw people and to help them go up mm-hmm. on that scale a little bit. Um, and I just, I don't think that most of what a lot of us do has that effect in the end. So true. Yeah. yeah so I think just to sort of close it out and, and where I think both of us really feel is, is maybe the the center point of this conversation, we want to, we want to attract people to Christ. And and I think that that's true of Christians, but especially of non-Christians, because whatever we say, we want 
we want Christians to be encouraged and to, to, you know, be reminded of the goodness of Jesus. And then we want, we want our unbelieving friends and coworkers and whoever else around us to, like you're saying, be, be moved a tick or more in the direction Mm -hmm. of, of Jesus coming to know him, see him more clearly through who we we've been to them. And with that in mind, I think that be with that when that becomes a priority, other things can fall down the priority list. Mm-hmm. Main, mainly being right in debates. I think that's kind of the big one we both think about that that we don't need to we don't need to be right because being right isn't always a win, right? Mm-hmm. We we're here to speak the truth in love. And sometimes we're we're prepared to speak the truth, but not with love. Yeah, we're playing the long game too. Exactly. You know, being right exactly in a conversation is not a win when you're talking about a lifetime. Mm. Yeah. So true. So true. We're all out for. I think that I always say to the students, uh, you know, everybody wants their drop the mic moment. Sure. And so we want that. You know, we constantly want that moment where we say something and it boom, ends the conversation. And everybody watching goes, oh, wow, he really got him or she really got him. And like you're saying, that's that's not the long game. Yeah. And that's going to turn people off and turn people away from the church and from Jesus. So anyways, uh, I hope this has been helpful for anyone listening and, and considering these things. I know it's an important topic and I'm sure it'll come back up in future conversations. But. Just thinking out loud here. That's right. So it's That's right. always a journey. Well, thanks for joining me today, Jeff. It's been fun. Yeah, appreciate it. All right. We'll see everybody next week.